right, welcome to the Value Script, the podcast where we bring value every episode for the everyday person. Today we have a very special guest we're excited to have for you, a man of very many talents, has played college football, has been involved in the NFL as a scout, has coached different various levels of football, um, has been involved internationally coaching uh, professional football teams, now does performance coaching, and even has led a little bit into a bit of a dancing career start. I'll let him fill you in on that in a minute. J.D. <laughs> Harris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here with you guys. We appreciate you being here. So I wanted to kind of, before we jump into all the many talents and all the amazing things that J.D.'s done in his life, I wanted to tell you how we met him. <laughs> so this is so fun. Um, Lonnie and I were at the Wigwam and having dinner and we look over at Lonnie's like hey look at that dad and his little girl and (laughs) I mean cutest little girl like her perfect hair and I remember she had a little stuffed animal on the table and we were so touched just watching you guys as we ate dinner and you did not have your phone out you were talking to her and I remember you guys looking at the menu and deciding what you were going to eat and like it was just precious to watch you guys um to watch you guys interact together it was so sweet and um we were so touched Lonnie like called our waiter over and he was like hey we'd like to we'd like to buy them dinner like they're just they're so cute together they were like do you know them or <laughs> <laughs> no. no we just we just want to re- we think that's amazing we want to reward, reward reward good behavior we think that's amazing well I appreciate it what you didn't know is we were having it out a little bit. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> that's funny because it's like that's what I noticed was the engagement. You guys were in, you guys were, you know, were looking each other in the eye. You were talking, but it looked happy and sweet. Oh, it that's, did. So that's it good. Did. It was happy. That's, good. <laughs> that's hilarious. That, that's maybe we can go on to your parenting tips. Then. But, um, we just were so touched. And I thought, man, it's it's um, not necessarily a common day when you see a father engage with their children on that level. And so that appreciate so. So impressive and part of the good we want to see spread around the world. And thank you. It, it meant a lot. Actually, it was funny because I'm like waiting for the server to come. I was a little impatient and I had given her money and she came back and I was just like, forget it. You can just keep a larger tip. And she was like, well, someone else paid for it. And so I thought it was the lady that was looking over at us. And she was like, no. <laughs> and I see the the Carmichael smiling. And I'm like, oh, I have to get over here. And from that, just that act of kindness, right? Fostered a, a new relationship with good people and happy to be here and seeing what you all are doing. And it meant something to us because that's what we believe, right? Highlighting good behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, um, so, uh, as part of his purview of skills, we had him start doing some performance coaching to help prep our son to get ready for his football season and worked on speed and agility and different skills, uh, especially throwing and catching. And, um, that was, that was pretty amazing that, you know, right at a time when we needed that, um, we were able to find that it was provided, you know, for us kind of the way, um, God works. Right. (laughs) And and then also, you know, uh, we've been friends, came over for the Super Bowl and it's just been a great relationship. So do good things for people. We we expected nothing in return and um, ended up gaining a friend. So it's those random acts of kindness. Absolutely. Do do good things. Be a good person. So tell me. So 
How do you say this? Wukagon, Illinois. Waukegan. Waukegan, Illinois. <laughs> Waukegan, you heard that. <laughs> Waukegan, Illinois, you're on the map. You're on the map. I mean, there's a lot of greatness that comes from, like Nat King, Nat Cole, King Cole, yeah. Ray Bradbury, Vincent Price lived there. Um, oh, Vincent Price. Sean Marion with basketball. Nice. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Uh, Otto Graham from Cleveland Browns, nine championships. There you go. There you Your go. Town's got some Walk weight. <laughs> how did you get from there to here? Oh my god! I know it's a long story, right? Okay. But, yes. but how, what what got what, what was your first first big move? So I'll tell you this: when I was, uh, I had a dream. This is no lie. That one day I was going to live here. Hadn't visited yet. Like in in Arizona? Yeah, had never huh. visited, but just had this draw to the Southwest, and we used to play Madden. And as Madden got better and you could play in the locations, you could see the backdrop of the purple and orange skies. So that kind of planted a seed. Uh, but so interesting enough, I was working with the Chicago Bears. I'm probably going ahead of myself. And at that time, I had started bottom up an organization, which I also had a dream. This is no lie. I had a dream when I was 12 and I was 17. I would work for the Chicago Bears. And I told my dad, I was like, Dad, we're going to one day, I'm going to work for Chicago Bears, and we're going to have an impact on the players' lives. And my dad had left the fashion industry and became a pastor. So that was, you know, like, and he's just looking at me. And I had the exact same dream when I was 12 and 17. And in this dream, I'm on the sideline standing next to Jim McMahon. And Jim McMahon was my dude growing up. <laughs> and we almost get hit by a ball, and we duck. There is a photo out. This is no lie. Uh, my first year with the Bears on a sideline with me and Jim McMahon and Brett Favre almost hit us with a ball. No way. Oh, my God. Can't wow. make it. And so I actually had Jim McMahon autograph it not a couple years ago, this picture. So what do you attribute, yeah, what do you attribute that dream to? I feel like God uh, doesn't make mistakes. I think the people that come into your lives is ordained. Uh, I feel like we have a circle of influence. Um, if we just go and walk in a direction of who we are, right? You know, um, me not trying to be you, you not trying to be me, just being authentically ourselves. I think it just naturally opens doors. Like you said, you saw me with my daughter. You saw this is how we interact. You know, I mean, even with discipline, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's being you. If you're yourself, you'll attract and you'll uh, just draw the people that need to be around you. How much How much did you focus on that dream? Like, Did you think about it? Would it become like, a, you said it kind of became a goal of yours, right? Well, like, so interesting enough, like life just kind of took its course. I was actually at Northern Illinois University at first, walked onto the wrestling team after not wrestling since my freshman year in high school. And then I had gone back home. For uh, I forgot what it was, but I ended up speaking to some young kids and I was like, go after your dreams. And then the hypocrisy kicked in. It's like, <laughs> dude, you dream. your dream was to play college football and not to mention wrestling. They wanted me to wrestle at 118. I graduated from high school at 115. Oh. And I was like, I couldn't pick up Wade, didn't have much film. Uh, I mean, special teams pretty much on varsity because I was tiny and everybody looked at me as a liability, you know, physically. 
I ended up getting that freshman 30 in the first month or two of pizzas every night and Pepsis and stuff like that. So I had to kind of look back and say, after I made that statement to the kids, I'll never forget. I was looking out the Stevenson South dorm. I was like, this is not what I wanted to do. I want to play college football. And then I start being some, so I start refocusing after the year and was hooked up with some of my friends that one of my teammates that was playing college football and we would go to Northwestern. And this is when they were uh, big 10 champs and went to the Rose bowl. So Darnell Autry, who I ended up having a podcast with down the road, all these guys were training in the summer with each other. And I ended up getting to 162 and said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to Lake Forest College, and ironically, the Chicago Bears practice on the campus. And as a little kid, my parents would take me to see the Bears practice there. And so uh, it kind of goes back being where you're supposed to be. I actually got in trouble with a substitute teacher in junior high, and she said if you ever uh, – she knew my family. I didn't know, know that she knew them. And back then, you just had a house phone, right? So I was acting up in class. She made a call before I ever got home. And basically, my mom welcomed me with five. <laughs> and, and, you know, for getting in trouble. So the next day, the lady was there. She said, I, I've known you since you, before your family, before you were born. And I know you like football. You do what you have to do. I'll introduce you to the Bears equipment manager. The Bears equipment manager... Uh, like every year back then, they would do these charity basketball games. And so ironically, my senior year, the Bears were having a charity basketball game. She hooked me up with the equipment manager, and he said, you know, he, this guy, he has an interest, loves the Bears, things like that. said, come on. Everybody else that was my age were trying to get autographs and with the players, and I was just working, just did what I was supposed to do. And he's like, there's something different about you. If you ever need anything, let me know. So fast forward, I'm at on campus at Lake Forest playing football. And I was like, you know what? I, one of the players from the Bears I met, he was like, give me some shoes. So I went over to Hallis Hall, and the equipment manager's walking downstairs. He's like, what are you doing here? I was like, uh, picking up some shoes from James Dig Burton. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, I was like, hey, by any chance, do you have any work? Uh, and he's like, no, I don't, I don't have time. He's a little ornery thing. I get a uh, next day. I go to practice for two days. They're like, hey, Jay, your boss from the bear says you have to work tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally started equipment, cleaning up bathrooms and the locker room month or two later, or two, three months later, I ended up his boss got fired and I ended up getting on a computer back then because. You go 1990s, everybody was, Microsoft Windows was all new to everyone. I had some skills, got on there. Next thing you know, I'm doing their inventory, their budget. Wow. And went from there to PR, marketing, to scouting, which wow. is where I wanted to be. So, which answers your question about Arizona. So, Rod Graves was the GM at that time of the Bears. And he was getting, so I would go in at night. And probe him with a lot of different things, like, like looking at the, dra- the, war- the war board room and the draft boards and like, hey, what do you think about this? And asking questions. So he would give me some nuggets here and there. 
And so it just started conjuring more intrigue in me. And so Rod ends up going to Arizona. So I'm thinking, hey, once I'm done, I'm going with Rod. And Rod was good. Never worked out. Rod, you've offered me lunch several times <laughs> at the combine. Still didn't get me here. So finally, I was like, one day, I'm going to get there. And I'm basically going through another trip of different routes. I decided, you have one life. I felt like, um, and basically, I got that when I was coaching in Europe. And I was coaching, I was a head coach of Amiens uh, Spartans. Uh, which is American football team in France. And I came with American mentality because I used what, to. What was that? The, the who? Uh, the the Amiens Spartans. Amiens Spartans. Yes, Spartans, basically. Uh, and they were the town that uh, when the World War took place, like they still had the military bunkers. I actually stayed in one uh, that got transformed. And so um, I had started finding out even more about football because one of my other goals were to kind of how could I do what I wanted to do overseas? Because I, I always had this, these, this duality thing of what I wanted. At first, I wanted to be the Black James Bond. So I, <laughs> the uh, Black James I was Bond. an international, like international spy. <laughs> I literally, my major was international relations. And I was actually headed towards an a internship with the CIA. Wow. And my grandmother was like, no, you're not doing that. Uh. And so she knew I was a man of my word. I was like, well, there it is with football, right? And it's like, how can I get that overseas? And we had NFL Europe at that time. And I don't even know how I got to, well, I do know. It, it goes all over. So anyway, I go to Europe. Uh, this is after working in the NFL. I went from the Bears to the Browns to the Colts. And I remember nights sleeping in my office, 18-hour days. A half day was nine hours, and that was during season. And so uh, you kind of burn both ends of the candle, and you're human. You got to rest. You have to eat right. I got up to like 200 pounds because it was all you could eat, whatever you could think of, for free. And you were there, yeah. even though you had a gym. Yeah. You know, but, you know. You can't out-eat a bad work. Or you, no. you can't out-work out a bad diet. No. And it was like, oh, you can eat chocolate chip cookies. I mean, whatever you can think of. Wow. So, um, but when I went to Europe, I went to mentality. I remember first day of work, uh, I was at the office at 6, which was somewhat late for me. And I'm waiting for my secretary and my assistant coaches. Nobody's there. So I wait outside because I didn't have the keys yet. And they had the skeleton keys. <laughs> for the really? door, you know, old, castle you know, doors, hundred and something year old buildings. <laughs> yeah. So I walked back to, or drove back to my place, came back seven o'clock. Nobody's there. Wait again, about a half hour. Went back. Came around eight something. Nobody there. Now I'm getting frustrated. I'm ready. I came here ready to work. Yeah, European Standard Time or what was going on? <laughs> At nine thirty, my assistant Josette comes. Bonjour, coach. Nine forty-five. My assistant coaches come in. I'm like, "Where are you been?" So I took the American, and so I took that they achieve that mentality towards the team, right? Grind, grind, grind the American way. But what I learned towards the end of it, I was losing my team because I was coming with this mentality of you have to just grind, and people are human, and the way they were at noon, 
they were they came in at 9 30 at noon they're there for gone for lunch they may come back two hours later they're going to eat a healthy meal. They're going to take their time and eat their food. They have well, the, do they have a nap time, like a siesta, siesta time? Well, they didn't, but they did. Yeah. And then they were out of there at four. Like, you know, you would see, <laughs> you just hear footsteps going. And so what I took from that, I was like, these people smoke, they drink, they do all the stuff we're told not to do. They're up late. And I was like, but one of the things I saw, they weren't dealing with cancers. They weren't dealing with a lot of the things that we deal with in America, the obesity, and it wasn't just because they were walking, because some people were more sedentary in their neighborhood. Right. Um, but it was the quality of life. And so for me, mostly being in the Midwest, coaching college in the Midwest, working in the NFL in the Midwest, having a shovel snow, I leave the house is dark, I leave work is dark, <laughs> you know. Um, Do you think it's a lack of stress overall? Like the well, yeah, it, it was a, so they in America when they first meet people. And if you notice, even with you, I didn't know what you did right away. And I purposely didn't ask. Um, in America, the first three sentences, someone asks you, what do you do for what a living? do, yeah. Right? Or you tell them what you do. Right. In mm-hmm. Europe, you may never know. It may be a year or two. Uh, because they, we, live to, uh, we live to work and they work to live. And we're consumed with things and they're consumed with experiences. So in August, if you go to most European country, they're on holiday. Yeah. And they have guaranteed seven, five to seven weeks of vacation, not sick days or personal days, actual vacation, not including federal holidays, things like that. So you're talking about 10 weeks. Wow. And if you're sick, stay home. You're not right. penalized. We don't want you. And we don't want your germs. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, so what could I do in America like that? And so I was like, one of the things was live where I want to live and start my own business. So, so our producer asked if you couldn't hear him what 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 the performance of the players were like on the field. So interesting enough, with, with all that cultural influence. So believe it or not, France is a few countries, and a lot of people don't know this. Like Japan has a history of football over a hundred years. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I knew they played baseball. Yeah, no, football is like their second, third sport. Uh, and at I, the university, so if you want a job, I, I at, thought everywhere else, I'll say United States, soccer was number one, everything. No, and then <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you, you're, you're a reader, right? Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> so John Grisham has a book called Playing for Pisa. Do you know who John Grisham is? So he has a book called Playing for Pisa. It actually mentions the Italian league that I coached. It mentions the team. Ironically, the star uh, or the main character was from Iowa. I coached in Iowa. He played for the Browns. And played in an Italian league. Hmm. And it's actually a fun read. Uh, but in that book, it's way dated. But there, you know, we had sponsorship from like McDonald's. They had turf fields back in 2008, 2009. Wow. Stadiums. They had televised. Um, we So to answer your question, we br- we were able to bring in three Americans. Or no, in, in uh, France that year, it was two Americans. And the rest, because NFL Europe had been defunct at that time because of the cost it was for the NFL, so they got rid of it. So they had players that played in the German League and all these things, so the municipalities started their own teams. Mm. Um, So in terms of talent, you had a wide range. You just didn't have depth. But athleticism, my quarterback, I uh, I had a French quarterback. He was actually their national team quarterback. And he was athletic. I mean, he, I can show you video. He looked like Patrick Mahomes. Wow. 
then. I mean, he didn't have quite the arm strength, but back then, uh, if we were able, if I spent more time years there, this kid was a kid, you know, and they're very smart. They speak in dual languages and multiple languages, but also what happens is they have uh, different levels. So you have the elite level, the junior level, and things like that. So some of those junior level kids, they actually come in and stay at Kreps, which was the military bunker, to get trained for American football. And so they will practice sometimes with, like the guy I had, uh, Jermaine Lewis, he actually spent some time in the NFL, played Division One. They're practicing against Jermaine, and they're in high school. Huh. You know, but then you have college and grown men. So, to answer your question, it's some very, it's a lot of good talent there. It's just not depth. Does, I mean, do the do the players indulge in the lifestyle too? The smoking and the drinking and all yeah, that. Yeah. So that's does, that, what, does that affect performance, or because their lifestyle is so? more stress-free and easygoing is it is it as harmful to their performance so i'll say this although they smoked and drank they conditioning wise they were better shaped than most of the demo american players but wow. and i had tried to ban i was like one of the things is right. I almost i almost got assassinated uh because <laughs> literally i had to bench my quarterback who was their national team quarterback for a series because i told them no smoking and especially at facility uniform, you know, because I'm bringing American way. It's like, you know, what the American football is now. In yeah. the 70s and 60s, they would smoke on the sideline. On the sidelines. In the NFL. The football players in, on the sidelines smoking. No way. You, you can see pictures wow. of John Madden smoking. That is crazy. Yeah. 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 But we forget about that. But I was like, if you guys want to be taken serious from America, because some players had the ability to come over. I was going to ask if there was reciprocity. Yeah, there. and so... I was like, these were things you had needed to do. And so uh, basically, but what I was finding, um, football is such an American cultural thing, right? It's grit. It's grind. It's tough. Yeah. It's, you know, it's typically some cooperation, but some flash, right? Where what I found initially, uh, what, one of my battles was they wanted the things they saw on Facebook of what they saw advertised of American football players, but they didn't understand the work and the Mm -hmm. grind behind it. And so that's what are the things which I took a team that had never had a winning record. We beat the number one team in Europe that year. And, but it was at the cost of not being liked. I was respected more when I left, they understood it, but there it was so counterculture to them because they're more individualistic in terms of, if I'm talking to you, then Meredith is not paying attention because you're talking to Lonnie. That has nothing to do with me. So coaching, you know, in America, if I'm talking to you, everybody in here better listen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it was some things uh, culturally. It's interesting that it, it translated the cultural differences translated into the football field. No, it did not. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. But that was the, you know, that was the point where I was like, okay, I have to basically just get you to assimilate to what real football culture is, which is American culture. Right. It is not just taking the pictures and stuff like that. So I had to kind of embarrass some of the guys. It was like, hey, you guys are Facebook football players. You need to be real football players. <laughs> Facebook football. Oh, no. I, oh, I had quotes. <laughs> Trust me. All coaches have quotes. But I did learn it was a maturation process for me. I had to find a way to 
lead them and but still keep true to what it takes to be an American football player. Oh, hey, with Adam right there, I think it'd be a great place to cut for um, this episode. And we'll, but I do want to jump in on this next episode that we um, shoot, talking about some of the pressing issues in professional football and other sports leagues around um, the nation, and um, get into a little bit about your ultimate direction and you know, some of your foundational faith. So. Thank you for listening. We're going to wrap this episode up. We'll see you next time on The Value Strip. Yeah.